Morning person, night person. Uh, 24 by 7. <laughs> well done. This is the Ag Bioscience Podcast. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Fraser, CEO of Agrinovus Indiana. This is the podcast where we explore all things ag bioscience, the people, the products, the innovation across food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. Our guest today has an extensive background in innovation. He's a big thinker. He's a bold leader. He's a former engineer, an entrepreneur, and investor. Welcome CEO of iSelect Fund, Carter Williams, to the Ag Bioscience Podcast. Carter, appreciate you being here. Thanks, Mitch. So we have a lot to cover, but I always love starting with you, starting with a guest. Help us understand your background, where you went to school, where you grew up, and how you got to iSelect Fund. Yeah, so I grew up uh, in New York area. My father was the uh, lawyer for the New York Stock Exchange and, and such, and so I grew up a lot around the investment community. I moved out to St. Louis to work for McDonnell Douglas uh, as an engineer out of uh, RPI. Worked at McDonnell Douglas uh, a lot in terms of building fighter aircraft and um, improving the productivity of that. So one of my big early projects was applying Six Sigma and Lean in 1999, uh, 1989. So early. Really known uh, to save about a billion dollars on that program. Uh, ended up moving, uh, going to grad school at MIT. I ended up back at Boeing, managed all the R&D investment, working for the CTO at Boeing for many years. Uh, when he retired, I left. I was involved in a startup called GridLogix, which was 2004, early IoT around building energy. And we, we figured out a way to save um, by using analytics and IoT technology when nobody knew what IoT was we uh, could reduce energy use in buildings by 20%. And Johnson Controls bought us in 2008, October 2008, which was when the stock market crashed. Uh, so we, it's always good to sell a business for cash when the market's down because I was able to then buy things at a discount. Right. <laughs> I'm off, went back to sailing, and I then realized I've, I've had a really interesting career in technology. I've had an opportunity to work on thousands of technologies. Many have sort of succeeded in failing. And, and as I sort of looked at the world and said, you know, my job and role and responsibility in life is to help people understand technology and innovation and help investors better understand the, the confusion around it. So we started, uh, I teamed up with Mike Keim who had started iSelect Fund. And our idea around iSelect Fund is uh, that there's a, a nexus between food and health uh, that we can take on from a conviction standpoint. And then the other part that we're trying to do is there's about 450 billion in venture capital in the United States. We think that that number should be like 2 trillion uh, many of the problems, agriculture and education and technology and everything that we get frustrated about that we wish was better, you know, entrepreneurs can uh, deliver a lot of value there. And it's a matter of bringing more capital in. So I select is, you know, where I am now as a venture fund and I, I lead the team. And we're really trying to make a difference both in sort of the food is health area and also bringing more capital into this market to, to drive innovation. 
Yeah, I, I love I love your background, Carter, and I, you've got a thread throughout your career and even your approach now is around disruption, right? From certainly the defense sector disruptor into the world that you're in now. And I know this is a big piece of your thesis at iSelect is around disruptive technologies, disruptive innovation. Speak more about how you think about disruption in the space and where iSelect uniquely fits in. Yeah, so I, I am a student of uh, Clay Christensen. I When I did my grad work, Clay was just writing his first papers and I my my professor was his thesis advisor, so there's a wow. there's an overlap in that, and um and I'm a big fan of Schoenpeter. My boat's named Creative Destruction, uh, so you can see that it's sort of uh, buried in. But really, creative uh, when you think about disruption, there are really two ways to think about it, and uh, the more classical way is I've got new technology, and that new technology is going to change the shape of the market. The way I think about technology uh, disruption is a little bit of the way Clay thinks about it. And if you're a student of economics, it's really what Hayek really talked about. And that is that there are people with needs out there. They're dispersed. They're a farmer. They're, a, they're a, somebody in the supply chain. They're dispersed. And they see a problem. They see an element of the problem. And that while we think technology and disruption is about somebody coming up with a new idea, that really what Hayek said, and I think what Clay Christensen said, is there was a certain point in time where the customers are so frustrated with the status quo, or they see an opportunity, or they see something different that can be done, that they sort of voice that opinion from a customer standpoint up until the point that an entrepreneur, and really what an entrepreneur in this world is, is someone who's uniquely capable of hearing what these customers are saying. And so where the, each individual customer doesn't quite have the answer, the entrepreneur has sort of the skill to reach across all of them and hear them and say, you know what, I see what you're saying and is able to sort of form up a combination of the technology and that customer need and that they're able to do it so that it's 10x better. And when it's 10x better, you beat the incumbent. When it's 2x better or 1x better, you lose to the incumbent. But when it's 10x better, and that's where you see the disruption, is, is it's so much different that the incumbent is struggling around trying to figure out what the hell you're talking about, like cars. Elon Musk is trying to figure out how to make cars autonomous so you don't have to own one and you can use it. And Ford is trying to sell you one. So they're both electric cars, but Musk is changing the entire business model and Ford is trying to struggle with the last bits of the car ownership model being electric. And so which way that'll come out, I don't know. If Musk is 50, you know, 10x better, he's going to win. If he's 2x better, he's going to lose. Uh, but disruption is when you get that shift and it's really ultimately, in as much technology as I've worked with, and as much as it's been radical technology, if that customer disruption demand does not exist, you won't see, you really won't see that sort of technology disruption occur. Where do you see that happening in the food and ag space specifically? I mean, where customers are saying, I mean, use the Ford uh, Tesla example, I think is brilliant. Is there or are there places in the food and ag ecosystem where you're seeing yeah. that happen? Yeah, we're looking hard at this to try to understand it. I do think the most obvious sort of front is plant-based protein. Uh, so our general view is is that I, 
you know, our, our macro view in the world is we spend 1.7 trillion on food in the United States. We spend 1.9 trillion on the cost of healthcare related to poor nutrition, $3.6 trillion market. Globally, uh, 3 billion people are moving in the middle class by 2050. There's a global demand increase of almost doubling protein. So people get more wealthy, they want protein. People want to get healthier, they got to eat protein. So macro, macro pressures, huge. So then the thing is, okay, it's plant-based protein. Animal proteins will exist. They're not going away. We need to increase the amount of plant-based proteins in here. So that's the technology part. On the customer side, Gen Z is flexitarian. They figured out how to eat with this stuff. The older people haven't. And the major disruption point that's occurring, that's accelerating. So you can sort of say, here's Gen Z. They're interested in this. They've got a growth in demand. But what happened with COVID, and this is a, like, it just sort of nailed it. And this is something we've been observing is go ask 55-year-olds who have kids who are at home in COVID and say, did their diet change? 95% will say, yes, my kid persuaded me to change my diet because I was overweight. They were worried about comorbidities. And now that I've done switched over to plant-based meats, still eat steak every now and then, but I eat plant-based meat, I'm... I feel better. I'm healthier. I'm no longer diabetic. I'm no longer. And all of a sudden, boom, you've taken, we've been talking about plant-based meats probably since uh, we started investing in 2014. We, you know, we, we've been in and around this subject in every which way possible, but now you've got sort of Gen Z coming on, which has sort of got a voice and millennial, which got a voice, but then you're seeing the spillover effect where it's affecting the 55 years olds and that starts driving exponential change. And that exponential change is further shifted where beyond sort of came out and said, Hey, we're going to be really no GMO clean premium, which is cool. But really what's sort of happening is Gen Z's like, I like CRISPR. I'm not, don't tell me it's GMO, non GMO. They're, they're sort of, their views are varying, which really is a perfect signal that we're going to go from that sort of beyond early market of premium end of the market buying it to the mainstay market basically saying, look, if you can give me plant-based at a lower cost than animal, make it readily available, I'm not going to hold you so accountable to clean. And and then you're sort of talking about a market that really, really, really opens up. And so that's that's the that shift in thinking about that approach and how we shift the ingredients market and, and is ingredient going to beat out beyond and and how are they rethinking their product that that kind of disruption and then when you go to a restaurant ask them how their orders are on their plant-based meat that evening and you'll find out they're always over almost always sold out so there's this shift going on and i, I think it's it's in that line we have not figured out the business model yet in the way that musk has mm-hmm. um, and i think what Benson Hill is sort of leading the way on this when they talk about closed loop systems. So you think about people sell soy commodity basis to Bungie who processes that sends it off to Ingredion. I think what you're going to see is a shift where Benson will work with Kellogg's. They'll understand the quality of the specialty soy that is needed. They'll work collaboratively with the farmer 
they'll set up a three, four year contract and then Kellogg's and their downstream customers saying, is it fair trade? Did you use right. fertilizer and the, the, the data package that's going to come with it. So the business model change, I think it's going to be, is that you can't just sell genetics. You can't just sell seed, but you answer the question of the Walmart customer, Whole Foods customer, what is this product? Is it the right thing for my diet? What are all the micronutrients and what's all these other data elements? So that that's the business model changes occurring in that area. Well, I think we're seeing the macro environment force that as well, right? And we coming out of COVID, coming out of the pandemic, supply chains broke, supply chains had to be reinvented. We did some research with Ernst & Young and Purdue in 21. It really looked at, we're going to see new channel partnerships form. We're going to see you know a different view of the supply chain. And I think there's two converging forces here. You have a consumer that's saying, hey, you know, I want more choices. And you're seeing a supply chain that says, hey, we, we have to... We have to reimagine what this thing is. Yes. And I think they, if you recall, you're familiar with the six pan chicken effort out of, um, I, I, not Cargill, um, why can't I, Costco. So right. if you really get back into that crowd, that's just fascinating. Think about it. Some product manager at Costco said, we got to make better chickens. You would think they would normally go off to Tyson and say, hey, we want better chickens. We want them in this way. And you would think given their power, Tyson would say, sure, yeah. No, Tyson said no. And they, they worked their way back all up into the supply chain. And not only did they say, we're going to tune up these chickens so they're six pounds, but they even went in into like Debbie Borg and sort of said, hey, Debbie, we want to feature you and your family on this on the front page right. of the thing. So we That's want right. to this imagery forward on that. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I'm really fascinated by what the product managers are thinking in some of these CPGs. And we're going to just see it. Uh, we as an investor are invested all across that supply chain. And we really think of our 50 portfolio companies as, uh, as cousins all working on this problem. And we're trying to understand better where the customers are to sort of plot out where to invest next. Carter, two more questions for you before we wrap up. You know, as we talk about this, I think one just macro comment is, is we've talked about supply chain specifically around food. You know, it's 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 not necessarily about taking the same pie and cutting up. It's about making the pie bigger. There's clearly some ESG components of this as well, environmental, uh, social, and governance. As, as we look at just this rising class of ESG investments, it's really really important in the food and ag bioscience ecosystem. How how are you seeing innovators, companies, venture capitalists? really bring ESG into the food and ag ecosystem? Yeah, so the it is confused because we what we are seeing a little bit in some of the front end of the ESG investors is we want to tell you how to innovate. You can't do GMO. You can't do these things. They, they have a lot. They have some can'ts in their argument. And uh, the nexus of how these technologies are brought together um, when I look at some of the ESG investors in their viewpoint, and then I look at some of the ESG leaders, uh, like a TNC or, or people that we've worked with in the past on this, their view, we've reached a viewpoint that says, um, we need to invest in the best technology, all the above technology standpoint, but we need to be transparent. We need to innovate the governance systems around how we invest. We need to help our investors understand we're making this investment to drive technology forward. We're also going to attract 
the ESG metrics, the DEI metrics, the ethics metrics, and reveal them to clients, reveal them to people. So for example, we work very closely. We invest a lot of money for TNC and we work very closely with them because they're a super wicked smart team in terms of understanding the nexus of the system issues. And so the challenge we have a little bit in the ESG market right now is this, what does the governance really need to look like? And we're really leaning to people like a TNC to help us uh, be transparent, uh, but not quite prescriptive yet. Uh, you know, the challenge, you know, if uh, GMO is particularly productive for animals and cuts down and improves soil health, should we be cutting that out of the mix? Uh, you know, there so there, there's still a lot of challenges. And I would say to ESG investors, come help us get that governance right. And uh, let's look at the systems view and try to figure out there are going to be some negative and positive externalities in here. But there's a lot of money coming in in this area, not moving yes. as quickly as you would expect. So there sometimes there's short arms. Uh, but I think that's because they're a little confused about the market. Uh, very, very purpose driven. And so we're 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 trying to have more conversations with them to help them through that thinking. Yeah, fascinating. The last uh, report I saw, ESG investing was one of the fastest growing classes of assets under management globally. So, so lots of opportunity there. And to your point, yeah. early innings, right? And last question for you, Carter. You've been wildly successful as an entrepreneur. You've been wildly successful as an investor. You've talked with a lot of entrepreneurs, those who are listening, those pioneers, whether they're in companies, whether they're starting a company, what advice would you give to those ag bioscience innovators who are either getting ready to make the leap or have already made the leap and trying to get that product to market? Yeah, if you want to drive real innovation, um, you got to drive it. You got to stick to your knitting. Um, you need to have strong viewpoints weekly held. So uh, you need the conviction to get through the tough spots. Sure. You need you. You were issued with two ears, one mouth. Um, so listen along the way, and be prepared to change. But don't. You really got to have conviction around the core innovation you're driving. There is no innovation I've been involved in that doesn't take five or six years to get through. And so it's like swimming to the other side of a pool underwater. That last five feet is really hard. I, but it pays off when you get to the other side. So don't give up. Well said. Well said. Carter, appreciate your time. Carter Williams, CEO of iSelect Fund. Carter, thanks again for spending some time with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to the Ag Bioscience Podcast. Get the latest Ag Bioscience news and innovation by subscribing to this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can always learn more online about ag biosciences in Indiana at agronovasindiana.com. On behalf of the entire Agronovas team, I'm Mitch Frazier thanking you for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Inside Indiana Business, hosted by Gary Dick and produced by Kayla Chittister and Joe Ullery. More people get Indiana business news from Inside Indiana Business than any other source.